the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, May the 19th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On May 19th, 1536, Anne Boleyn, I mentioned her two days ago, Anne Boleyn, the second wife of England's King Henry VIII, was beheaded after being convicted of adultery. Today in 1780, a mysterious darkness enveloped much of New England and part of Canada in the early afternoon, unexplained. Today in 1913, at least at the time, today in 1913, California Governor Hiram Johnson, he signed the Webb-Hartley Law that prohibited aliens ineligible for citizenship, that would be illegal aliens, from owning farmland, the measure, they said at the time, was targeting Asian immigrants, specifically Japanese immigrants. Today, in 1921, Congress passed and President Warren G. Harding signed the Emergency Quota Act that established national quotas for immigrants. Today, in 1943, in his second wartime address to the U.S. Congress, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill he pledged his country's full support in the fight against Japan. That evening, Churchill met with President Franklin D. Roosevelt at the White House. The two leaders got their heads together and they agreed on a date for D-Day, the invasion of France. The operation ended up being launched more than a month later. I think the original date was different and then they moved it. But anyway, it was about a, a month later. And that, of course, is historic by all accounts. The day, the D-Day, the day America stormed the, stormed the coast of France. Today, in 1967, the Soviet Union ratified a treaty with the United States and Britain banning nuclear and other weapons from outer space, as well as celestial bodies such as the moon. The treaty went into force October 1967. Today in 1994, former First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, Onassis, she died in New York. She was 64 years old. Today in 2003, WorldCom Incorporated, it agreed to pay investors $500 million to settle civil fraud charges that had come to light. A lot of people lost a lot of money on that one. Today in 2018, Britain's Prince Harry married Meghan Markle in a service that reflected Harry's royal heritage and the bride's biracial roots, as well as their shared commitment to put a more diverse, modern face on the monarchy. Well, I think that was then. This is now. Now they're at war with the monarchy and Harry's own family. I think that was a disastrous decision on a young man's um, on a young man's path to his life. But nobody asked me what I thought. But that's what I think. I think she, that 
woman isn't Marvel is a disaster personally. And I think a lot of other people do that. I think, unfortunately, I think there'll be a day when Harry will probably think that as well. But anyway, they got married today, back then. We do this little history part, this segment every day, because I feel it's important, and others do as well, that it's important that we just have a sense of history of the things that happened, because the things that happened in, the, in, the, in real-time life, in the moment, really impact what we do and where we are and why things are the way they are in the future. Patrick Henry and others of our founders often refer to the fact that to know history is to help understand the future. Clearly, the Bible speaks to the future in prophetic scripture, and there are many of them. But we can look at life from as well, certainly through a biblical worldview and that's always a part of our conversation here. But we can look at life, and if we know these decisions were made back then, whether we think they were right or wrong, that's what shaped where we are today. And it, it, I think it prepares us to deal with the challenges and just of everyday living to know the past or have some knowledge of the past, of history. And it certainly, it certainly helps to understand some of the things that can come back again, because History forgotten is history revisited, as they say. So that's why we do this every day. And I know many of you like it. You tell me sometimes I hear from people. I haven't for a long time, but I've, some have said, man, we don't, don't do that. Just get to your talk. I've got to have more of your talk. Well, I think that history is important. So we do it every day, and we try to give you a perspective on what's happening. Then we talk about what's happening today in our world. Today, the Department of Homeland Security put out a pause, a pause on its own disinformation board about this truth czar. She resigned yesterday. I talked about it when they first announced this, when we first learned about it here a week or two ago, came under fire for spreading disinformation herself. The Washington Post this morning is trying to make what make a failure a a victimization case. President Biden's Disinformation Governance Board, remember that? I mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's now been aborted two weeks after its birth. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. We live in so much such a web of deception in our world today. I mean, I guess it's always been that way. I've never lived a life before the one I, I'm living now, but man, it, it just seems like our whole being our whole existence is wrapped in this web of 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 you know what do you believe i mean everything from baby's formula to shots to pandemics to whatever i mean everything has all kinds of spins on it and there's so much more information available much of it disinformation but so much more information available now than just in, in our lifetime I mean, all of the, the, the social media and the Internet and all of this stuff has kind of just come cascading down upon this generation. And we just, I mean, there, there's so much noise in our lives. We find ourselves sometimes just being overwhelmed by it and kind of plugging our ears, closing our eyes and walking away. But we can't do that. We have to be active citizens in our culture because the Lord has called us to do that. Jesus said, you are salt and light. 
So that's why we have to be engaged. We have to know what's going on. So anyway, in the context of this, President Biden got this incredible idea in his mind to have this disinformation governance board. And it sort of creeped in the back door, but we found out about it a couple of weeks ago, as I said. So the Washington Post said yesterday on the morning of April 27th, the Department of Homeland Security announced the creation of the first disinformation governance board. They did announce it, but they did it very quietly and backhandedly. We learned about it about a week later, the public. But anyway, they announced this and with the stated goal to, quote, coordinate countering misinformation related to homeland security. The Biden administration tapped Nina Jankowitz, a well-known figure. This is the Washington Post explaining to you about what happened, except they're telling you it didn't happen the way it really happened. They're spinning it in a different direction. So this Nina Jankowitz, they say, is a well-known figure in the field of fighting disinformation and extremism. They pointed her the board's executive director. Washington Post notes in their article, in naming a 33-year-old Jackowitz to run the newly created board, the administration chose someone with extensive experience in the field of disinformation, which has emerged as an urgent and important issue. Well, disinformation is a urgent and important um, issue. Indeed, it is. All of us are aware that Elon Musk, a guy who's hard to describe, really, He's not really a conservative except on some issues. He's been a Democrat. He's voted for Democrats, I guess, over his adult lifetime. But he says he won't vote for Democrats in the upcoming election. Um, he's going to vote Republican, he says. But he's he's worth, I don't know, 200 and some billion dollars. I mean, he's the richest guy in the world right now. Well, he offered $44 billion to buy Twitter which got everybody's attention because he said we need more freedom of expression, more free speech, not less. And he said these guys, Facebook, Twitter, and so on, the main ones, are censoring speech. And they are. And they have been. Very effectively, I might say. They're allowing you to hear what they want you to know, and they're blocking or just erasing, just deleting what they don't want you to know. They're blocking people like Donald Trump, if he doesn't say the right things, if he says he believes the election was rigged, he's gone because they don't want that message out from anyone, including the president or past president of the United States. So this is what apparently stirred this Musk to do what he did. So he offered to, to buy the thing. Well, that got world news. We've talked about it. I've mentioned it several times. One of the one of the. Uh, parts of the agreement was that Twitter's uh, Twitter had to to show him as part of the purchase deal. They had to show Musk that their SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, filings were accurate. The reason that was so important to this deal is that they claimed in their filing to the federal government, Twitter that there was only about 5% of the names on Twitter, the millions, billions of names on Twitter, only about 5% of them were bogus or bought, as they say, like robot, not real people. Real people listen to see the commercials, and that's how they monetize 
the in this case Twitter. So Musk said, I just want to know that those are real people, not just some robot somewhere, which is done. I mean, on all social media, there's robots on there. They call them bots. <clears throat> and there's other methods of feeding information to you where it isn't a human being. It just appears to be. So he said, I want to know that you that you were telling the truth on your filings to SEC when they said 5%. 95% of the names on Twitter are real people. Well, as it turns out, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, it's way, a long ways from being true. The company, this SparkToro company, went in and did some checking on this, and they have the tools to do it, I understand. I'm not an expert on this, but I know what I've read, and I've read from reliable sources. But anyway, they found, for example, on Twitter, that President Biden's 22.2 million Twitter followers are 49.3% bogus. They don't exist. Now, who put those on there to make the president look good or look like he has more influence on social media? I don't know. All I know is that 49.3% of President Biden's 22.2 million Twitter followers don't exist. So they they ran a, ran a, um, a, a survey or a, a check on Musk's account Musk, Elon Musk himself, has been on Twitter and is. He has 93.3 million followers, and they, they found out that 70% of those are fake. And he said his response yesterday was, I thought so. And so this is beginning to come out in the light today. It does two things. One, it puts in question the deal, whether it'll go through or not. Uh, his buying the thing for $44 billion. It also highlights what we're talking about today, the fact that there's so much misinformation and disinformation. The problem with it is that we, the president and his administration, Biden and his administration, have seized the moment. They understand there's a problem with truth in our culture of people getting the truth and getting to the truth. They understand that. So they seized that opportunity under Saul Alinsky would be smiling if he were alive. They seized that opportunity, that, that sort of a crisis kind of thing, and they came up with this board of governance with this nutcase to run it. Honestly, she is. Everybody started asking questions. I was mentioning it on this program and on some writing that we do on our website every day. But other people were people with much more influence than we have were saying, what? Why did he, why this person? And they kept saying, well, she has extensive experience in the field of disinformation and so on. Now the post, the Washington Post, now this thing has collapsed. She got angry on Monday. Then she said, well, I'll give it some thought on Tuesday. Yesterday she resigned. So she's done they put it on quote unquote pause. I can tell you they will not bring this back except under a different name with a different face with a different narrative, as they say. This thing, I mean, people just said, what? This is what communism does. This is what China does. What are you trying? You can't do this in America. So Biden said, hmm, that didn't work. So they backed off a little bit or whomever said that. And so that's kind of the 
<clears throat> the story in a in a nutshell. But the the Washington Post today won't let it go. And they are saying that much of the mainstream media, along, along with the much of the mainstream media, that misinformation has demonized Jackowitz, who was called upon to do a service to the country. They are now flipping this from her being, you know, I, I don't have time to go through all of the things she said in the past, but they are bizarre. I mean, no one should have chosen her for any kind of leadership, particularly disinformation, rooting out disinformation. She has spread disinformation as long as she's been had any visible exposure. The DHS is also defending her against what the WAPO calls, Washington Post, calls attacks from the right base of past positions and social media posts. Well, that is what she was thinking. That's the sum of who she is. I looked at a lot of her social media posts, and I was stunned by some of the things she was saying publicly. She was blasting anyone, anyone who thought there was wrongdoing in the 2020 election. She blasted the New York Post when they first came out with the Hunter Biden story on his laptop and all that stuff. Now it's well known that that is his laptop and actually charges have been filed against him or there's an there's an investigation, ongoing investigation leading to charges that will be filed. And nobody's even saying it's not his laptop. But she was one of the first voices in the country to come out and blast anyone who thought that really was his laptop, and it goes on and on and on. So that's why people started asking questions, like why is this woman going to lead this governance board? So finally, in an attempt to sort of quiet the little people, the Biden administration came out and said, well, they can't do anything. They don't. This governance board doesn't have power. They can't delete anyone. They can't stop any news from going out. They can't do anything. But see, they can. They can, and they could have. The board, although it was operating under the authority of the Department of Homeland Security, the focus was to root out what seems to be or could be disinformation. Those were the words in their kind of their job description or whatever. Well, the White House sharply criticized anybody that opposed this committee, this board, and the opponents. And they begin to categorize anyone who started asking questions about this as disinformation or as radical right wing. Nobody nobody believed what they were saying. Like the, uh, the, the uh, Homeland Security came out and they said that these, the smears leveled by bad faith right-wing actors against a deeply qualified expert against efforts, this was Tuesday, against efforts to better combat human smuggling and domestic terrorism are disgusting, and the administration has forcefully spoken out against them repeatedly, on and on. So that was that was the message. But the problem was that nobody believed, it wasn't just me, it was, nobody believed them, everybody knew what they were up to. Even the left knew, so they just remained silent. But it was about censorship. It was about control. It was about retaining power. 
Nina and her group didn't have to remove content. They said the administration finally said they can't do that. Well, they didn't have to. By merely labeling something as misinformation or disinformation, it would have signaled the, the press and the social media people to block it. So if they came out and said um, so-and-so, whatever, Mike Pence is a is a brute or whatever, and he's saying things that aren't true, well, they wouldn't have had to have power to censor, say, Mike Pence or whomever. All they had to do was label that person, and then that person was just collectively blocked out if they're trying to get a message out. So that's the that's what's ha- been happening here. Conservative conservatives embrace freedom of speech. I hear that from those of you who listen to this program often, and I'm so grateful that you get what we're trying to do. I got this note, and I I, I see this a lot. I got this note from a person in uh, Tucson, Arizona, who's listening to our program. He said, thank you, Gary, for your strong words of truth. I love your show. Look forward to listening to it every day at 12 noon here in Tucson. Keep preaching the gospel mixed in with the truth about our daily events. Hopefully, he said, I pray to the Lord and the Spirit that your words will reach those who never who need to hear it, especially the youth. Stay strong, sir, and God bless you and all your supporting staff. That is pretty much sums up what we're trying to do, is we're trying to get the message out. And sometimes you say, well, do youth listen to Christian radio? Well, they listen to music. But you're listening to it, and you could pass some of these things on with some background knowledge, because I'm trying to do the work for you so you can pass it along to your grandchildren or your children or people that you know and families that you know who are raising younger children. It is important that we get this message to the children because they are they are baptized in indoctrination every single day they walk into what we call public education. I call it government education in the bad way. So that's what we try to do here, and I want to thank you for your support of, of this. Every day we try to talk about what's happening in the culture and what it means to a Christian, a biblical Christian, and how we might respond and how we may not respond. But that's what we try to do, and we try to turn on the light. This is a darkening world. It is a, it is a darkening culture in which we live. People are doing things today, and I know you've seen that, that I've never dreamed I'd see in my lifetime. And yet it's almost some of the things they're doing and saying have almost become commonplace just in our lifetime. So it is important. And we try to turn on the light. We try to pierce the darkness with the Word of God. We try to do this as faithfully and to the best of our ability. And I want to thank those of you who make it possible. We wouldn't even be having this conversation if it weren't for those of you who support it. So if you appreciate what we're doing and see the value of it, please help us. We need your help. This is not an easy path. It's it's difficult and challenging to do what we do on many fronts. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's very difficult sometimes to make all the ends meet, to get everything together. There's legal costs. There's stuff unexpected comes up. Thank you for standing with us. And from time to time, somebody writes a 
extraordinarily large check to us. And that usually comes at a time when we need it most. God knows. But all of you who support us, either from time to time or regularly monthly to meet our monthly budget that comes due every month, we all know about budgets. We all have one, personally, of some kind. So thank you so much. And thank you for standing with us, because I don't take a lot of time on this program to talk about this. And I know there's a sense, because everybody on Christian Radio does, and there's a sense that, well, boy, oh, Gary, he doesn't need any money. Yes, he does. And we need your help, and we thank you for it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. And you can con- contribute on our website as well, faithandfreedom.us. It's been said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. People usually say Thomas Jefferson said that, but a lot of people say they've scoured everything he ever said or that's recorded or written, and they don't find that he ever said that. And that becomes the argument of the left when somebody like me or you, perhaps, says, well, Thomas Jefferson once said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. I don't know if he said that or not, but it's a wonderful thing to be said And he alluded to that principle many times. So some say he didn't say it. Some say he did. And that's the kind of a world we live in today. But it is important that the message not be lost in an argument over who said it. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. In a speech by John Philpott, current, he'd just been elected as Lord Mayor of Dublin in 1790. He actually said it. It's on the record. He said, the condition upon which God hath given liberty to man is eternal vigilance. Abolitionist William or or Wendell Phillips, he also said it in a speech in 1852. But one thing is certain. We don't want to lose the value of something because someone else argues of, well, he didn't say it, but it's so easy to get lost in this back and forth in our our culture. And the, the left has this I, I think it comes mostly from Saul Alinsky's teaching, but the left has this ability when they see they're losing in the case of, of this um, governance board, they've come out, the left has come out, the president and the administration and all, and said, well, these people have just brought to bear these horrible things about lovely Nina, and, and they've questioned her, and they equate questioning to attacking, and now the press today is responding, and Nina, whom I I said before, and I don't say this often, she's a nutcase. I mean, she is. If you don't believe me, look at a lot of social media, of her social media. She's on there singing and making up rhymes about about abortion, and I mean, it's just on and on, and I mean, I can't even describe it. But anyway, now the press is portraying her as the victim because people questioned her ability to root out disinformation. That's the world we live in, but I'll tell you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I want to leave you with this. God is in control. God is greater than all of this. 
Keep in mind, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He just wants us to be informed and go out into the world and turn on the light and pierce the darkness. Hey, thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.